Welcome to the Back in Business podcast. I'm business journalist, broadcaster and podcaster, Mickey Clark. And I'm small business journalist, Liz Barkley. And I haven't seen you since before Easter, Mickey. Did you have no, lots of did you not have as lots small of Easter as I eggs? was either? <laughs> I knew you were so, going to say that. <laughs> yeah. What was that old saying? Fridge pickers, bigger knickers. I think oh. uh, I think that's the case for me. Uh, anyway, the Motley crew is back. I won't dwell on my weight much longer. Um, before Easter, we talked about small businesses all around the UK from Glasgow to Bristol and several stops in between. Optimism was the overriding feeling coming through. I think I think that's fairly accurate, Liz, isn't it? Yeah, I think absolutely. And it was really heartening to hear that. But since that, we've been talking to uh, politicians standing for election in Scotland and Wales and recovery and the role of small businesses in that recovery seems to be the top of everyone's agenda, thankfully. Uh, and we're keeping pushing that. And of course, the elections are next Thursday. Yeah, well, Simon McVicker, our Director of Public Affairs, Policy and Communications is here. Simon, how much difference, if any, with these elections, how much are they, effect are they likely to have? I mean, what difference are they going to make, basically? Well, obviously, uh, they will have some effect because you're electing national governments in Scotland and Wales. And, of course, the government will be watching very closely to judge how they're doing in, in, in England. So it will have some effect. And it is the biggest set of local elections in history because last year's delayed elections are being held this year with this year's elections. So it is a very big electoral test for the government. And also, Simon, there are mayoral elections too. And we've talked to, well, we've talked to at least one uh, if not more than one mayor over the past um, 12 months. Um, again, they have small businesses and freelance workers on their agendas. They, well, they certainly do. I mean, uh, London has thousands of freelance workers and Sadiq Khan has sort of stood up for them as mayor of London. Uh, but I, I don't think Sadiq has ever done anything really effective for small business or mayors. Um, and I think this is part of the problem with these mayors. Uh, they're very good at the rhetoric, maybe, but the actual power to do things on the ground, I'm not sure about. I mean, uh, Andy Street gets some good reviews in the West Midlands because he, of course, is ex-businessman, ex-head of John Lewis. He's in a very tight battle there with Labour, and that's one to watch on election night because that will give us an indicator of how the government are doing. But, I mean, Liz, these elections are really about uh, COVID and the vaccine rollout and how you think Boris and Nicola, to a certain extent, has done in Scotland. And, of course, the other big question in Scotland is, of course, uh, independence. And the polls are suggesting at the moment it's status quo. They're voting SNP in Scotland and Conservative in England. So nothing much will change. Declan Curry, our business editor, is here too. Um, dare I ask what's happening in Northern Ireland? Um, well, there will be a new First Minister after Arlene Foster said that she would step down as leader of the Democratic Unionist Party and First Minister for Northern Ireland. There's some discussion as to whether those two roles might actually be split 
in the future so that the uh, leader of the party, the leader of the DUP, may not necessarily also be the uh, first minister in the executive, uh, which means that the leader of the party could actually be one of its MPs in Westminster rather than one of its members of the Assembly at Stormont. So we uh, watched that. There's one name in the frame uh, already. Uh, Edwin Poots, who's a minister in the Northern Ireland executive, has said that he uh, has uh, is putting his name forward. Uh, we'll wait and see when other names emerge as well. I, I think for businesses uh, uh, across the country, th there's a separate discussion to be had about just how much political clout does small business have nowadays after a year where the Chancellor felt politically able to completely ignore up to three million small businesses when it came to helping people through the pandemic and cushioning them from the economic impact. I, I think most business leaders are, uh, and, and those who run companies are, looking instead at the economic and business climate around them. And it's becoming clear that this is going to be the year of the recovery. All this week, we've had the big banks line up one after the other, saying they're having bumper profits because people are paying the debts on time. So they're able to reduce the amount of money they put to one side to cover debts that might not be repaid. Uh, we also have uh, one of the uh, institutions in the city, Jefferies, saying that the economic indicators that it watches are all running hot. So it expects the Bank of England at some point in the next week or so to increase its forecast for growth. And we could well be looking at growth of more than 7% this year. Barclays top boss Jeff Staley says this morning he's expecting the best growth since the aftermath of the Second World War. Well, can, I just, in, can, can I just come in there and just back, say that, um, yes, that is correct to, to an extent, uh, Declan. Uh, that's what the big banks are saying. But whether the reality on the ground with small businesses is that I am not sure because a lot of them have impending debt to pay back in July, uh, especially in terms of rent. And just talking to businesses around this area, this is a cliff edge for most of them. And one business owner told me he expects carnage in the pub industry in July. So I, I, I wonder whether the big banks are just being a bit over-optimistic. There was another interesting report this week that said over 50-year-olds had been hard as hit by this recession and were struggling to get work. Now, they're the people that are meant to have all the money. They're the people that are meant to get out there and spend all this spare money. If this is true, that ain't gonna happen. I'm going to throw it away, though. Two things. First of all, Declan, I mean, getting rid of uh, Arlene Foster is a bit like me telling my wife she's got a fat arse. Um, she's not going to roll over and, and take it lying down. Um, and secondly, I mean, Rishi Sunak's an ex-Goldman Sachs man. He's not going to want to look at companies less than a billion quid. And if they are less than a billion quid, he'll value them at a billion quid. I mean, that's the way it works. He has totally neglected small business, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, the government will say that it helped uh, many uh, sole traders, uh, but they couldn't help everyone and they weren't able to uh, identify those people who uh, relied on income from their own business and those people who were earning uh, uh, dividends from investments in the city. I, I'm not convinced that but, but Simon's can't. right, isn't he? There is yeah. a tsunami coming um, with debt because businesses can't just kick off from where they were, they can't just pick up and run. And I've already heard of pubs charging seven pounds for a pint because they, they won't break even. 
They won't have yeah. any customers to sell it at seven pound a pint. Yeah, but there are other signs. There are other signs there that business is becoming more confident. There's a survey of businesses in Scotland published by the Fraser of Allender Institute, a highly respected think tank there, this week, saying that there is increased optimism that is shared across businesses in Scotland. Well, let me bring in Mark Hart there, who's professor of entrepreneurship at Aston University. Mark, um, I'm I'm sure it wasn't the remark uh, Mickey made about his wife that you wanted to come No, in. I think I'll leave that one between him, <laughs> him, him and his missus, absolutely. No, she hasn't, by the way. I think I, I do agree with, with Mickey here, because when I look at the ONS uh, Business Impact COVID survey stats coming through, they run survey wave 28 now, that cash reserves, quarter businesses are going to run out in one to three months. Um, Turnover is down for maybe 20%, one in five. Small, I'm talking about small businesses here. So there is, a, there is a tsunami coming here. And many of those small businesses have still got a quarter of their workforce in furlough. So when that winds out, so I, I think the next quarter, two, quarter, three are going to be really problematic. I do not share the optimism of the CEO Barclays. I mean, we're having bounced back to where we were in the first before the, the pandemic in February uh, 2020. The other thing I would say, and it's not like me to jump in and defend anyone in cabinet, but I actually have been working with Rishi Sunak in developing the new Help to Grow Management Programme, which is going to provide intensive business support over the next three years to 30,000 small businesses. And the sister programme helped to, help to grow digital, which is going to help digital adoption in about 100,000 businesses. So, but when I look back at, 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 I mean, my own enterprise research centre, we've been doing a lot of server work as well. The big, the big news is there's a lot of optimism there coming through. Um, businesses who have been adopting a lot of digital new technologies are much more likely to be more optimistic. So they will be crucial to the recovery. Every recession I've analyzed since I was a wee boy tells me that small businesses, new starts are in front of the recovery. They're coming in it on a very low base though. That's the problem in this recession. Yeah. Not recession, but the downturn. So we've got a problem here. Yes. Uh, the, the small uh, uh, pub owner that I was talking to this week said that other things are on the horizon, like massive hike in electricity bills. He said, unbelievable. He said, of course, they because they didn't trade for about nine months last year, they don't have the reserves. They can't afford to take on new staff. It's as simple as that. They just don't have the money. And the staff that are coming to them are so unskilled, they're, they're, they're next to useless. So you and, see, Simon, and Simon, there's no uh, time to train them. There's no time to train them. And by the way, credit, credit ratings uh, for all these businesses are going up because they haven't been trading. Well, that's so, another very good point that so, we haven't even thought you know, about. You know, I don't, sometimes I listen to these city boys and I just don't know what world they're living in. Well, talk in your own book, Simon. Sorry? It's called Talk in Your Own Book. Yeah. Okay, right. Let's move on because um, in 2020, we launched this podcast and the backinbusiness.org.uk website to give small businesses a voice. And so we have been talking to small businesses over the last 12 months. And in fact, this podcast is being recorded a year to the day. We feel that government really listens to big business and there are only... 8,000 or so of those in the UK, but there's 5 million plus small businesses employing about 60% of the workforce. And I, we feel that the government is somehow or other not listening to them and missing a big trick here. 
Yeah, we, we recorded our first podcast on May the 1st, 2020, and it was posted uh, on the website on the 4th. So we've been in operation for exactly a year, Liz, and uh, sometimes during the lockdown, it felt like that as well. But, <laughs> but there you go. We're still here, well, which is the main little, thing. Little did we think a year ago that we would uh, still be here and still podcasting about small businesses and, of course, the impact of COVID. Now, we've mentioned some of those impact. Uh, impacts, but our producer Ben Houghton has pulled together a few snippets of some of the conversations from the team and the guests over the course of that year. And hardly surprisingly, he started with the plight of the hospitality sector. Now, um, he's, the packages, there's going to be three of them. And the first one uh, features Sam Harrison, who runs the Riverside Restaurant in Hammersmith in West London, Anthony Jordan, who runs Tamaray Event Designers, and they design weddings and funerals and birthday parties and so on and Jenny Bish who is the landlady of the Barley Mill pub in Maidenhead and she was in fact the very first guest we ever had on a year ago. We are only quite a small pub uh, we've got a quite a big garden which we've been very lucky to have this as, as we've reopened um, but obviously it's it's the worst thing that's happened to us is obviously the we've been charged a full amount of rent. Small businesses like mine, it's simple, it's cash in and cash out. And every day since reopening post-lockdown has been a battle to survive. We've been restricted on the volume of people we can have inside already. And so we've all adapted our businesses so that we can survive. I have a team of 40 staff who we found a way to keep them all employed. But I'll give you an example. The 10 o'clock closure, which, which I think is utterly ridiculous and I cannot see how it helps anything. But tonight I had 100 people booked. I'm down to 70. Virtually all of my 8.30 and 9 o'clock reservations have cancelled, ju just like that. And last night was obviously the first night, but I had to present people with their bills while they're finishing their main courses. To a bride and groom, yes, I was. But considering they can't get married, there is no, you know, where's the viability behind it? And then, okay, someone who would hire me for New Year's Eve, am I doing their balloon explosions at 10 o'clock? Because midnight doesn't happen anymore. It's just... <laughs> no, listen, I'd, I'd agree. I, I was... We, we, we'd had a much stronger July and August than anticipated. The, the eat-out scheme, I think most restaurants would agree was a massive boost for us. Um, it was it was such a boost. We, I mean, I extended it into September and it's because um, I felt I had no choice. And lots of restaurants have done the same. I've, you know, I can only speak for myself, but we have invested thousands of pounds. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. On average, we get probably close to 10 emails a day from customers or Google reviews or TripAdvisor saying, thank you for making us feel safe. Thank you for what you've done. Uh, yeah, and, and when you do compare that to a packed Regent Street, a packed tube getting to Regent Street, or a packed shop, it, there's no logic there at all. Well, that was uh, Sam Harrison uh, ending that. And of course, uh, Anthony was absolutely right. New Year celebrations were a bit uh, curtailed this year. It's been a hell of a year for hospitality. And joining uh, Mark Hart 
are Richard Lambert, who's CEO of the National Hair and Beauty Federation, another sector really badly hit, and Keith McAvoy, who's from the Seven Brothers Brewery in Salford. Uh, Keith, you've got two bars in Manchester City Centre. I know you make beer from Cocoa Pops and Rice Krispies, amongst other things. Yeah. Well, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure how well that will go down with the team. <laughs> but um, I, I take it, you know, a lot of what was said there rings true with you. Yeah, all of it, really. Um, you know, we've, uh, you know, especially in the Northwest as well, um, We've been in lock. We've been in some form of lockdown way be way before the December uh, full lockdown. And uh, if anything, a full lockdown uh, benefited, uh, suited us, suited us better than uh, the tiered restrictions. Um, as, as the individual said, you know, the ten o'clock curfew, um, ridiculous. Didn't make sense whatsoever. You know, uh, getting people to pile out on the streets at ten o'clock and then all mixing and buying alcohol from the local off-license. It just didn't make sense at all. So they have made mistakes without a shadow of a doubt. Um, so the, the, the full lockdown from our retail side of the business, you know, our bar side, um, was actually more beneficial um, because we have um, made sure we did benefit from uh, the, the, finance, the finance packages that were, were out there, um, all the grants, um, furlough. So, that, you know, there has been a, an element of, uh, you know, support for businesses like us um, but obviously, hospitality, we, we have been in the spotlight, um, but there's, there's plenty of other, other businesses out there that weren't able to make sure they uh, uh, could, could capture uh, all the finance uh, that was available out there. We, we're lucky we have, you know, we have a, a finance department that, that, can, that can take care of those things, but not everybody has that, has that luxury, that benefit. Um, so, yeah, I, everything that was being said there, I was just nodding my head. Yep, yep, this, this is all, all, all rings true. Um, I, I, not, yeah. I noticed that. And Richard Lambert, uh, you were nodding your head at various points too. What about the hairdressing sector? Well, because that's a, got to have been a nightmare too. I mean, I'm going to sound like a refugee from the four Yorkshiremen sketch and say, you know, listen to Keith, luxury. Because <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> from the hair and beauty, we were couldn't locked closed completely for 140 days last year, over 100 days this year. You can't have an online haircut, so there was no chance to diversify. Some people were able to do click and collect of products, but but that was about it. They people looked in the hair, our sector looked in envy at the five percent cut in VAT. They looked in envy at the help out to eat out to help out. They looked at the, they said all the support going there. Why aren't we getting the same when they reopened because of social distancing requirements and the extra hygiene? They're on average working at 70% capacity. Um, most people used what, resort, what backup resources they had in the first lockdown. Um, and we did some research at the beginning of the year. We found that something like two thirds of businesses were in debt. Uh, two thirds of businesses had no cash reserves left. More than half of the owners were, um, were putting their own money in. One in 10 owners had, or managers had got nothing out of their business in the previous year. And um, when oh, have we have we lost Mark? Uh, sorry, have we lost Richard? Um, Mark, you obviously are looking much much wider what around the, the country. in April. Oh, I'm not going to be well, here. He sorry, sorry, Richard, we we lost you there very briefly. At which point? Ah, uh, this is a very good question, and perhaps it was me who lost you, not the rest. <laughs> 
you you were just uh, you were just talking about um, how difficult it had been. But let me uh, let me just uh, go to Mark. Mark, um, you've been thinking about uh, obviously about small businesses in all of the other sectors. But are these the hospitality, the health, the beauty, the hairdressing, um, and perhaps the event sectors? Are they the ones that are going to ultimately prove to have been hardest hit? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about that, Liz. I mean, not, not just, you know, the testimonies you're hearing this morning. And yes, you know, from Keith's perspective, there's another side of the business that's been kept going in terms of, uh, you know, the retail side. But look, it's clear looking at all the data, which I do, I'm not some boring nerd that looks at all the HMRC data coming through, all the survey data. Absolutely. And I think that even if, as we go into, you know, post 21st of June, opening up the whole economy, what are we left with? Well, I think, as I said a moment ago, that many businesses are in a very, very, you know, mar marginal state in terms of cash reserves, their turnover's well down. And also we've now got another interesting case whereby a lot of the hospitality industries, uh, maybe specific across areas of the UK, are finding it difficult to get the labour. It's not a question of training people, is it's a question of where have all the workers gone? And there's a lot of stories coming through, and obviously a lot of people who have not got settled status have left the country. We, we did the, the aggregate data means there's been an outflow of uh, EU, EU nationals. So that's going to hit certainly in London and the southeast. So I see these sectors are going to need handholding, a lot of support from government, because they are the backbone, not just of our high streets and communities, but of the economy. And I just think that, you know, they're, they're seen as... Um, a bit of an afterthought and I think some of the nonsense about the restrictions people just don't understand what, what they're doing I mean 10 o'clock curfews it's absolutely ridiculous so yes I think these sectors will be hardest hit. Please can I just ask you can you tell us about cost and if, if I'm one of your clients one of your customers a publican how much are you charging for a nine gallon barrel of beer is it the same price you would have been charging a year ago? Did you was that question for me then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it still is actually. Uh, although we we are having to look at uh, increasing prices for for twenty twenty one into twenty two, um, which you uh, would have done anyway. Which we would have done anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, in our own bars, we're not putting up the prices uh, yet. We're keeping them um, as as they are. Um, so we've been we managed to stay pretty pretty stable in terms of uh, our because there is evidence that some some publicans, you know, mm. at the retail end, are starting to push up their prices, blaming yeah. COVID nineteen and the, the extra costs of, of you know dealing with the public. Um, but I'm afraid painful experience tells me that once prices go up, they don't come down. Mm. And as I say, my local village was saying that if they stopped one particular hour, which they were doing before the lockdown, they would have to charge £7 a pint. Mm. Well, people just won't buy it. It's as simple as that. No, they won't. Um, we're in the... We're, we're kind of... Uh, again, we're in a luxurious position of having... Um, we manufacture, you know, the product as well as as well as selling it. So we, we do have, especially within our own, our own bars, we have... The ability to um, uh, play with, uh, be quite uh, selective on the margin that we choose choose to make on that. So, um, so, so yeah, I can understand why other other pubs are putting up their prices. It's because some of the other breweries out there are probably putting up the prices uh, for them. Um, and there's, there's also, um, you know, something else to consider here, and that's Brexit. You know, a lot of our a lot of our import costs um, have gone up. Our raw materials are going up as well. So I can understand where it's coming from, and it's probably 
the effect of a double whammy um, with both COVID and Brexit. I, I, I'd just like to ask uh, Richard a question. Um, a local um, salon owner around here said to me that uh, his, he was having problems with uh, quite a few of his staff have come down with long COVID. Um, you know, they've contracted COVID around the Christmas period, which was the bad time when the Kent variant hit. And a lot of them are struggling to return to work now. And he's wondering whether it's because the nature of their work is quite physical, standing up and, you know, looking over people all day. And it, if that was having an effect on hairdressers particular, particularly, I don't know whether you're getting any feedback on that. Um, it's not something we've had particularly. Uh, in fact, we've been doing some research on the um, instance of COVID through the, 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 the QR data and the, the footfall. And actually, given the uh, level of concern that's been coming through government, the actual incidence of COVID being uh, picked up uh, through uh, confection in, in the salons is incredibly low. I mean, I think they would change the R rate something like less than 0.05%. Um, but you're right, it, it, it's quite a physical activity. People think people underestimate how long, how much toll it takes on the, on the muscular skeletal side of things. But I haven't heard anything like, like that specifically. It may just be one unfortunate salary. Yeah, yep. Um, but what, what about the prices? You know, I mean, how are hairdressers and beauty salons and all the rest of it going to make back what they've lost? Are they, having to, are they thinking about passing on those costs to the consumers? Well, it's interesting because there seems to be a general tenor across the sector that we can't raise prices because people won't pay more. But actually, there's been some recent ONS data that says on average uh, cost of hair, hairdressing has gone up by about 6% uh, in the past couple of months well, since the reopening. Um, so that's, that seems to be quite an impact. But as uh, people, from what we can see, everyone, uh, the anecdotal evidence is people are booked solid till the end of May, they're opening longer hours. They're just trying to get, I wouldn't even say get their heads above water, they're trying to get back to the where they can see the surface. But as the conversation was saying earlier, there's a whole load of additional costs that are gonna kick in from the end of June, beginning of July, the end of the um, end of the business rates relief, end of um, the uh, whatever negotiation you may have managed to have on rent arrears, the furlough will be ending, the grants will be ending. So you'll be working on full costs pretty much from that point. And yet you still may not have got your head above water. You know, it is, it's a really worrying prospect. Ah, I'm feeling less optimistic. I'm ah. beginning to wonder if that tsunami in July is a, an accurate forecast. Yeah, I, think people, I think people are genuinely, <laughs> realistically, once they get their heads up, at the moment all they're worried about is just getting back to work and getting their heads above water. Once things settle down, I'd say they'll probably settle down at around a 70% uh, capacity while social distancing remains. I think we're looking at three to five years to get back on track properly. Once you, because you've got to deal with all the repayments of the debts and the arrears, the loans you built up. It's a long-term recovery process. And, and Richard, what, what, what's the attitude of amongst your members with landlords? Because, you know, we, we don't talk very often about, you know, if you've got a shop, you've got an outlet, you're likely to have rented it or leased it. Um, some have been fairly lenient. Others have been trying to get as much money as they can. And clearly the future is uncertain for landlords. It is. Um, and I know because I used to work for uh, the Landlord Trade Association before I came to this job. So I appreciate both sides of the argument. It is a really mixed picture. 
um, more than half of landlords have refused to countenance any kind of um, arrangement with their with their tenants. Um, where where they have been willing to uh, discuss things, people have managed to agree either um, a reduction or or at least a holiday. But people are very conscious that that's not uh, that's a it's a postponement rather than a, a complete forgiveness. And sooner or later, the landlord is going to need that that rent to come back to them. So um, yeah, it's just the, one of the concerns that's coming back to us from people is that they feel that they are building up all these costs which are postponed, not, um, not, not uh, abandoned. And it's how quickly people are going to expect those costs to need to be repaid. Um, it's just a horrific thought to think about that, but certainly uh, Business Deadline is also telling me that 45% of the clients that they're seeing, the business clients they're seeing in debt, are um, they're in debt partly because of late payments, because other people haven't been able to afford to pay them. Uh, and also as a result, they're uh, getting behind with the household bills too, which is, Mark, I see you sitting yes, forward there. Yes, I'm leaning forward because I just wanted to make the point, you talked about the 5 million point seven businesses in the, in the UK. <laughs> Nearly half of those businesses um, have, you know, the profits are down by well over 50%. They have no cash reserves. Their revenues are falling. Even though we're opening up, they're in a very precarious position. And some sectors more than us have discussed that, I get. But look, I, you know, I think that, what you know, I, I hate to be pessimistic, Liz, but at the same time, because there's businesses out there who've been doing really well, et cetera, et cetera. But the majority are living hand and mouth at the moment. And this government's got to think very seriously, what's the plan? Richard's already talked about furlough ending, grants ending. What's the plan? Because I know, as I said, the recovery after the financial crash, et cetera, et cetera, is, is the small business new starts and, and the existing small businesses. We have really poked them in the eye. And, you know, my, my big argument was, why on earth was a government insisting on ending the transition period in the midst of a global pandemic. Delayed a year, we've left the EU, it doesn't matter anymore. But, and, and, and Richard, you know, and, and Keith, you've made the point, there's a double whammy coming here. So I, I think there's signs, look, we'll see the bounce back and everybody will celebrate that, but that's bouncing back in the very short term. The financial position of half of our small business sector is extremely precarious. And Mark, um, uh, right, um, uh, you're, you're absolutely right on that, but there's a lot of people who have been self-employed. Now, let's just talk about self-employed for a minute, because many of the people we talked to over the past year have been self-employed. A lot have had a rough year. A lot have actually left self-employment because they can't make enough income to tide them over all of this. Um, and a lot have had no or limited financial support. And many have just simply given up that dream uh, of talking to themselves. Now, we talked to you about this, Mark. We also talked to Heather Self over the past year. She's a tax specialist at the par and a partner at Blick Rothenberg. And we talked to Horace Tunbridge of the Musicians Union. The other thing I would say is this retrain thing, it's... Well, I nearly swore then, okay? And I don't think I should swear on this podcast, but I am furious about it. This is, the music industry is an industry that is worth five and a half billion pounds a year to the economy. You know, what's the fishing industry worth? 
uh, 1.2 billion. Uh, what's the motor trade worth? Nothing compared to the music industry. And yet we're being told that our fantastic talent has got to retrain. Well, nobody is going to come to the UK because someone's good at boiler lagging, Mickey. They're only going to come because we're good at music. That's why people come to the UK. That's a top 10 reason why tourists come to the UK, why students come and want to study in universities in the UK is because of the fantastic music. If it's in the context of a public health emergency, I think it's, it's rather unfair to be talking about jobs which are viable or not viable. So I think we've got to, I mean, if we've talked in the past about, you know, um, jobs, um, they just wither in the vine and, you know, as, we, as digital comes on board and things are done differently. We're not talking about that. That's not what's happening here. Mm. So people who in the arts and entertainment sector, in the hospitality industry, these jobs are not viable because government has closed them. Let's be clear about this. So this discussion about viability I've seen in the last two, three weeks is really, really not helpful. And, and uh, why do you think he's taking such a hard line on these excluded people, the, you know, the one person limited companies, etc.? The self-employed scheme, he did quite well. That was probably more generous than people were expecting. But he had to base that on tax returns that were you know, getting on for two years old. He's updated that in the budget, but to do it for the small companies, even though these are people who have done absolutely nothing wrong, they are paying their taxes, the tax records don't clearly show the amount which you can identify as earnings. Well, there you go. Um, I, don't I do remember you mentioned boiler lagging, Mickey. <laughs> I knew I'd get the blame. Here, Mark, I've got a phone to pick with you. You talked about Rishi earlier in the, the podcast. Yep. And he's your new best mate. No, he's you were not. Slagging, you were wow. slagging him off then. And I, I mean, let's face it. And I still do. I some, of the measures, some of the measures he's taken during this lockdown have been like pulling teeth. Mickey, what I was saying was it's not fair. We'll have to be balanced here, don't forget. It's not fair to say he has done nothing. And I'm just pointing out that in the budget, 3rd of March this year, he has announced this scheme. I mean, you know, half a billion quid's been poured into it. Is it enough? In terms of what happened to self-employed, half a million self-employed have disappeared, Liz, which was your point at the beginning of that, that little section. And they're not coming back. And I think that, you know, my uh, data, we're publishing the GEM Global Report, Global Entrepreneurship Monitor on Wednesday next week. The UK has, has fallen dramatically off the edge of the, the, the early stage entrepreneurial cliff. There's no question about that at all. So this is not good. And he has not done a good job, Mickey. And I have written to him on the record and told him such. But I'm also happy to say um, he's still talking to me. And we, <laughs> he has asked me to get involved and make sure that we design something for small businesses, which is appropriate for small businesses like Richard uh, members and also Keith. So, you know, I, I just have to be balanced. He's not yeah. my best mate. And, and Liz will tell you, I'm only winding you up anyway. <laughs> so don't worry. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But um, Richard, uh, you know, that is the case, isn't it? That many hairdressers are self-employed, many operate by going into people's homes, many uh, rent a chair in the salon. Um, what are you seeing now in terms of those people who are self-employed? Are they sticking with it? It's not yet clear that yeah, there's been a big trend towards self-employment over the past five years. Uh, it's up to about 60%, I think, uh, the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. 
And that trend had increased over the previous two years. So there were a lot of people who found themselves slipping between the cracks and not getting anything at all. And having gone self-employed because they thought they could make more money than they were making as a salaried employee, they now they were now find they have nothing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, whether they'll find their business and their clients recover quite quickly, or whether they will think actually self-employment is not the way to make more money and have more freedom. They might want to start to gravitate back into into salon employment in the future. I think um, the difficulty, of course, is to say, salons are working at reduced capacity. So that people have had to lay off their own staff, reduce their hours. So whether actually there's, there are the places in salons to bring in, that's another question. But of course, it, we are, we're seeing a lot of shops closing, we're seeing a lot of um, you know, empty units, which again, landlords will want to let if people want to then move into opening their own salon, that might be the way forward. Yeah, well, we can only hope. But I mean, as Mark says, uh, we need that entrepreneurship. Um, Keith, I don't know what you're finding in your sector. Uh, presumably, there are lots of people who would have been self-employed musicians, self-employed actors, etc., who would have looked to the hospitality industry to yeah. tide them over in fallow periods. Um, yeah, and it's not. They must have left too. There. It's not been there. Well, yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're finding. It's um when when the 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 pandemic hit, we were actually about to enter into a, a huge period of growth. Uh, so all our plans have just gone to the right completely. Uh, we've had we have had to tap into you know cash reserves etc. Um, but we did find that once we'd reopened, um, there were people looking for work uh, in this sector. Um, so we're about to open up our third place, um, and it is an opportunist opportunist. Um, you know, um, transaction this this time round. We, um, you know, we we just, we 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 see this as uh, we didn't see any point in putting our plans on hold, uh, basically. So we've just gone all out attack um, and try to uh, go for everything that we we planned in the whole of 2020. So um, we're we're already seeing we're all get already getting inquiries from from these musicians, from these uh, individuals that want to come and work. Uh, we're finding that there's a lot of people wanting to relocate as well. Um, so we've had plenty of interest when we've put work out there. Um, we've, we've advertised for, for new people. If people wanted to come back to Manchester or come, um, you know, down from all over the country. Um, so I think I think for the ones that have, have been uh, tainted by the self-employed experience during this pandemic, um, that there could be uh, lots of opportunity for those more entrepreneurial-minded individuals who are thinking about it um, to make their move now. Uh, that's that's the that's the sense that we're getting in in, in the uh, in this sector. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you think there's a, a, a strong likelihood that when pubs reopen and trading gets back to normal, um, that a lot of the people that you were dealing with are not there anymore? Um. <sighs> They'll, I just feel that there'll be the different, there'll be different people. Um, there's a lot of people out there want work. Um, we've been inundated uh, with uh, CVs uh, for for, our, for the bars that we're opening, um, and we're going to be opening up another two more um, by the end of this year as well. So, and we expect to be to have uh, a, a, a plenty of people to choose from for those for those. Positions. Would you expect the churn um, to be a lot higher than it was before lockdown? Um, possibly, possibly. We've always um, managed to have great staff retention uh, anyway. Um, so we've been lucky in that sense. 
So we've never experienced that um, that constant churn of, of, of people coming through either the bars or the, or the brewery. Um, but I would possibly, you know, while people are, are, are trying to find their feet, uh, you may you may even find that uh, there could be plenty of people out there, you know, doing more 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 than one job at a time. Um, probably, I would say to try and get back on the feet. <laughs> um, so it, it all depends on the individual. I think that you're going to get plenty of people who've been um, tainted by this experience, but the, there could be plenty of people out there who uh, see this as an opportunity, especially with the uh, you know the ever changing scene of the high street. You know, look, we look at all the closures recently. There are definite opportunities there for somebody to fill those fill those places, those those uh, those things. Yeah. Mark, um, revisit your remarks about viable jobs. Um, what's what's your thinking about about viable jobs in the future workforce, and what's it going to look like now, a few months later? Well, I think there's been a lot of um, you know, not a lot of shuffling around in many ways in terms of how businesses, and I'm talking about all sectors now, not the sectors that Keith and, and Richard represent, but I think that um, there's a lot of greater flexibility. Um, there's still a high proportion, about a third of, of workers in the small business sector still working from home. So sort of teleworking is still very much the, the in vogue. So viable is, is not just in terms of, you know, can we afford to pay them, but it's a way of working. I've seen a lot of emphasis on digital adoption. Digital adoption, new technologies, ways of working has increased dramatically throughout 2020 from our own survey work that we've done in the research center. Um, so that's actually making jobs more agile, more viable in the sense of, um, you know, using the best available, um, you know, technologies to actually do the job better irrespective of what sector you're in. I think that there's still, you know, the underlying cost of labor, which is the fundamental problem here. And I just think that given the financial status of a lot of small businesses, pro profits have collapsed, cash reserves aren't there. It's gonna be a very, very, you know, lean labour market for the next year, two years, absolutely no question about that. So, well, of course. you know, viability can be interpreted in different ways, but certainly, um, you know, I think it's wrong to say that, you know, certain sectors are past their sell-by date. I think firms have found different ways of working through the crisis, which I think has been terrific. Uh, some and, great examples. And we have mentioned, of course, uh, the furlough scheme, um, and a lot of those jobs have been saved to this point in time. Uh, by the furlough scheme and we won't actually know how successful it's really been until the whole uh, economy is opened up again but it was mentioned more than once in the past 12 months you won't be surprised to know uh, the MP Chian Wara talked to me about it in February um, training and technology was high on my agenda at the beginning of this year and for once Simon agreed with me <laughs> as you'll hear oh. in a minute and Declan and Mickey were getting very heated by November about how the furlough scheme was run. <laughs> You're someone who was in a business in August, and I know people in this situation, who were told in August, the furlough's been reduced, we can't afford to pay you what we were paying you, will you take a pay cut and we'll keep you on the payroll? And they said yes. Well, the new furlough that they are now getting, that the government could have said all along was going to continue, they're now getting much less than they otherwise would have done because they and their bosses were responding to what they thought the situation was going to be. The, and the, the bosses always wanted saying, clarity. 
they always want the clarity. And I understand it's a fast-moving situation. It's a variable situation. We still don't really understand this virus. We're still trying to get on top of the science. But the scientists were saying in September... There's a second wave coming back and it's going to be big. It could be as big as the first wave. We were talking in March that the pattern of the Spanish influenza in 1918 was one, two, three waves. This was known from the start. This could have been anticipated. And he, uh, Simon, as you say, he's left himself open to the idea of someone who is, first of all, being dragged to inevitable conclusions that he could have made earlier and someone who is not the master of events. My prediction is if we don't get the technology right and we don't get the technological infrastructure right, we're going to slow down the recovery because we're so dependent on technology. Liz, and we need to get online. But small, small firms need to operate online and the technology isn't living up to it. Liz, that is a really key point. UK um, infrastructure in technology needs to get a lot better. Labour's calling for a smart borough, uh, yeah, which is combined with uh, job creation. And um, I think if, pe- if we can get that smart response, then we will have people with jobs and then people with jobs will always want to be uh, take part take place part in leisure and hospitality activities. So maybe a different kind of future. Well, have we had a smart furlough, Mark? <laughs> Despite all our criticisms? I think it's created a lot of problems. I think that uh, the government should have announced it as they did in France and Germany until 2022 and be done with it. Would have given greater certainty for businesses to actually plan over the over the financial years. But that's not the way this government behaves. So that's um, that's that has been a problem. Um, I think that it's um, what what I'm hearing a lot about is is you know, we will not go back to where we were before. Yes, we hear stories of, let's get back to the office, let's not get back to the office. But, you know, even in my own institution, good, good, good God, a university, we're talking about a, a, a dynamic working model whereby there's no expectation that we'll be on, on campus five days a week, uh, except for obviously uh, making sure the students are happy and don't demand their fees back. Um, but it's um, a lot of businesses, small businesses are moving towards a more agile dynamic working model. And, and, and te- new technology is helping that, and it really is important. It's not just the communication that we're doing now, it's the, it's the digital technologies about running the business. You know, enterprise <clears throat> resource planning software, ways in which you're tying your HR systems together with, uh, is this the hound of the basketballs coming to haunt us? Yeah, uh, he wants involved in the conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, I Make think more sense. I think that, you know, we're going to be in a position... Um, you know, pipes still need to be pulled, let's be clear, and hair still needs to be cut, but there's a large proportion of the private sector will be operating in a very different way. But the furlough scheme, I think, has created problems, false sense of security for workers, because, you know, the, 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 the business has moved on. We didn't think this was going to last for over 12 months. And we're now in a situation where we're still not out of the, of the woods here. We're going to be working in a pandemic control situation until the end of this calendar year, I would suspect, vaccine or no vaccine. Um, and it's going to be a very, you know, the furlough scheme. I mean, for me, I would just say, let's just roll it into 2022, make the decision now, and then we get security. We plan over the next 12 months as the economy recovers. We have no more short-termism here. We can't afford it. Richard? Absolutely agree with that. 
the, the impact, all governments around the UK have tended to say, right, we will make they put these restrictions in place and then we'll think about the financial support. And the impact on that on business, on decision-making has been you know, inestimable. Uh, particularly reinforce that whole thing around the, the furlough last year, saying it was going to end, we saw businesses laying people off, not, not because they couldn't afford to reduce their wages. And that, you know, they, they have found that they, you know, they could have kept people on had they, um, had they known that the furlough was going to be extended that bit further. The other thing I'd just chip in is from our sector, we're looking at a massive impact on skills because the traditional way you train in our sector is through apprenticeships. But for two years, an apprentice is all cost and no revenue. And at the moment, businesses cannot afford that. So uh, we've done two surveys in the past four months. Uh, we're doing about quarterly. 4% of salons are saying that they expect to take on an apprentice in the coming year. You know, we could see in a couple of years' time, there will be that big gap of a couple of years where there's no trainees coming through, but there's still people going at skills going out the other end. And that'll have a big impact on skills and the ability to run businesses. Keith? Yeah, we um, there's, de there's a definite skills gap without without a shadow of a doubt. Um, we need people. We're a people focused business, especially on both sides of the business. Um, yeah, we're we're already looking at apprenticeships. Um, we're trying to find a way of that uh, uh, bringing that on board. We're looking at the Kickstarter scheme. I'm not sure if you guys, any of you guys, are aware of that that scheme. Um, it's 16 to 24 year olds, isn't it? Um, who've been who are looking for work and maybe uh, the they're unemployed, uh, claiming, um, claiming benefits already. So we're looking at uh, bringing individuals in. Um, whether or not we can get them, uh, we've our first attempt at trying to bring individuals in through the Kickstarter scheme hasn't been very successful. Uh, the caliber hasn't been there, or even even the uh, the appetite from the the individuals who've uh, had their CVs put forward hasn't been great. So we're having to rethink that and go back to the table. Uh, on that um but we're trying we're trying um like i say it's a, we are a people focused business um and we we need them the furlough the furlough scheme has been absolutely been been great for the retail side of things for the bar side of things you know we wouldn't have been able to keep any of those individuals on any of them without furlough um there was a panic when we when we were told it was going to end um but again we have a luxury of a finance department that um, you know, doesn't panic and uh, could, could wait until the information started to come through. And uh, when they changed their minds and decided to extend it, great, we'll take that. What I am afraid of, um, if, if it falling off a cliff, the edge of a cliff, and just stopping, I do agree uh, uh, that we should extend it into 2022 and phase it, phase it out, phase it down. Yeah. Mark, there's your brief. Make sure there's no cliff edge. <laughs> You're uh, on mute. <laughs> yeah, I'm not no longer. Um, I would say that we are not looking at the roaring 20s as we were 100 years ago. This is not, if we don't get this right, you know, we're going to have another decade on top of the decade we've already lost. So sad news for me to end a year on from the broadcast, Liz, I'm sorry. Well, um, take Rishi out for a gin and tonic. You'll be all right. The economy will pick up. Charge it that's, to Liz. 
That's your that's your job, Mark. That's your job. <laughs> I'll take it um, on board. Don't worry. Okay, great. Uh, Mark, Richard, and Keith, thank you ever so much for uh, being with us. It was absolutely tremendous. Um, yep, it's a year on. So, uh, well, a week on. Where will we be with the elections, Simon? <laughs> <laughs> um, you want you want me to make more predictions, don't you? Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, it looks like, and uh, uh, you know, for all the scandal and rubbish that's going on in the newspapers and in the television, that the Tories are going to do quite well in these elections in England. Uh, they, and it looks like they're going to take the heart to pull by election, which would be a sensational result. Uh, but I think looking at Scotland, it's a completely different picture. And indeed, the SNP look as if they're going to improve their position. So that sets up uh, a very uncertain picture then constitutionally, which will have a knock-on effect on the way people do business. Absolutely. Um, we've been talking to Welsh politicians, Scottish politicians, and those podcasts will be uh, one already on the website. One will be on the website. Uh, Declan, what should we be looking out for as far as business is concerned in the coming week? We had some business leaders during the week um, talk about what type of recovery are we going to have and uh, what is business going to look like over the next five years or so. And it echoed a lot of the points that we've heard during this discussion uh, today, that there has to be a renewed emphasis on skills, in particular digital skills. There's a call from these business leaders for a complete overhaul of the apprentice scheme. They say it's just not as effective as it could be. Uh, and uh, at a time when we're looking at people who perhaps had worked in places like pubs and hotels and restaurants, having to retrain for jobs in other sectors, in green energy, in home retrofitting, that all needs reskilling, that all needs retraining. The idea that um, it's going to be going back to business as normal is just fanciful. It's not. You're going back to business as digital. And no matter how big or small your business is, you will need digital skills to survive and thrive in the future. Um, well, thank you all very much indeed. Uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. Mickey, um, your dog was a week early. Was your, dog, your dog was here a week early. Because someone showed up to buy some chutneys out the front and they always bark at people who pull up to do a bit of shopping. It's just our little but way of getting the economy going. You're oh, selling chutney now? Yeah, Mrs. C makes chutneys, jams, marmalades, sells them I out have, front. I have the image of you now as, as, as sous chef and helper in the kitchen in a frilly <laughs> penny and a wooden spoon. She won't let me near the kitchen. She won't let me near the kitchen. I was just about to say she won't even let him in the house when it's going on. <laughs> got more she, she, she can say now, go down the pub. That works. <laughs> that, that, well, yeah, but it's a bit cold outside. Uh, yeah. However, I'm saying that your dog is a week early because next week we're going to look at a sector that's really flourished during the lockdown. And of course, that's it. Pets. Food. Well, we, we can interview those two because they make more sense than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I think we, we should have all our dogs on next week. Yeah, we'll, all make a, we'll make a lot more sense than us. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure uh, what you're going to do, Declan. You're going to have to borrow a dog. Or you Rent can have a pet. Or you Rent can have a cat. 
You can have your cat. <laughs> right. Have a cat. Okay. So, a um, join us. Oh, you don't have a cat. Oh, sorry. <laughs> How dare you? These <laughs> moustache. <laughs> sorry. Join us. Bring your pets. Bring your pets along. Dog walkers. Um, you know, if you sell accessories, if you sell food, whatever. Do join us. Bring your animals along. <laughs> We're bringing ours. The recording might be a very noisy event. Um, but uh, in the meantime, you can listen to all our other conversations, our interviews on our podcasts on the website, backinbusiness.org.uk. And thank you for uh, to the team, to Ben, George and Ollie for making it happen. See you next week. <laughs>